0: Welcome to the Geek Geek Podcast, where I don't have my intro notes up. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beij. I don't have them up because I don't look at them, so hey! <laughs> um, today, we are talking about lit RPGs, which I'm sure I wrote something that was related to that in the intro, but we're going to roll with it, because that's kind of funny to me. Um, so, what is lit rpg if you guys haven't heard us talk about this a little bit in the past it's it's basically this like genre of novels where um games or like game like challenges are an essential part of the story and it's where like visible rpg mechanics are a significant part of the world and um bj mentioned to me earlier that like gamelit is a major genre, and that this is like a sh- sub genre of
1: that, right? yeah, I think where they'll have some like uh uh soda pop soldier is one where it's it's within just like gaming but not so much RPG, and then you have these where people are going into role playing games uh specifically where it's more of a sub genre from what I can tell. yeah, and I was trying
0: to look up like examples to try to figure it out in my mind like what is this and what's a good you know just like as a reference point, something that you can go to right away. And the one that I came back to a few times was Sword Art Online. It just feels like a perfect encapsulation of what lit RPG is as a genre to me. Did you have any other examples?
1: Um, Sword Art Online, uh, I saw that a bunch. Um, Dot .hack, things like that. Uh, Animes where they're dealing with uh, the virtual world. Um, I've seen people debate back and forth on Ready Player One whether it is uh, within that particular genre or not. Um, to me, it feels like it because it's going in and playing these games from within inside the world itself. So that it, at least it feels like it to me. I don't know if it's one of those uh, where the, the hardcore readers consider that one of them. But that's, those are the ones that really stand out in my mind, just automatically think of whenever I, I think of the I hear the term
0: yeah that's awesome so before we like dive into it i I wanted to mention like why are we doing this topic because it's not quite a normal topic um it's something that we might have gotten around to covering eventually but well you should probably explain this because you usually do it better
1: but on our patreon one of our tiers of rewards is that you're our boss so you tell us what you want us to talk about and then we talk about it so uh ken murray who is an awesome, awesome, awesome member of the community, uh, was really stoked about lit RPG books. He reads a ton of them and really wanted us to dig in. So he sent us a couple of books, uh, pledged and supported us on Patreon. And uh, so we're going to do this episode, uh, I, I want to say dedicated to Ken, but uh, but really, I don't know how else to put it, but because of Ken being so awesome and so passionate about this, uh, he has made us the same way yeah it's it's awesome
0: and he bought both of us a book to go along with it and like it was kind of like homework but in a way it was fun because like i haven't had an assigned reading and i don't even know how long
1: so uh, it was weird that was was. the weird part where it was like going back to school i was like i have to read this and then i have to do my book report on it (laughs) and uh it 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 was fun though i'm like it's it was cool i like doing that Uh, the english major in me is like oh good
0: yeah, so uh the book I got was Divine Dungeon, Dungeon Born by Dakota Kraut, and you got Ascend Online, right? By Luke chmilenko
1: I don't know and how I to really, say that name. I don't know how to say his name at all. Um it's uh, just look for Ascend Online. It comes up for that one. And there'll be links in the show notes to these as well. Yeah, so I think maybe we should dive into each of the books and kind of talk about our experiences with it, and then we can come back around to like the genre as a whole. Yeah. So I'm really curious about yours. Like I when Ken sent me a message, I think it was on Discord through all of this, uh, he 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 told me which, which book he he had sent me and everything. And then he told me about yours, just the high-level, like, one-sentence synopsis. And it sounded so cool, but I didn't know if it would be something that you would be able to stick with. And so I'm really, really curious on how you felt about getting into it. Getting into it took a
0: little while. But once I was into it, I was like, okay, I like this. It's good. It Because it gets okay. a little in the weeds i mean i should probably say what it's about so it's a book about a dungeon that is it's like a brand new dungeon when the book starts i mean it's called like dungeon born um and it's all about how a dungeon like ascends in power and like gains power over time as it exerts its influence around it and at the same time there are other characters that are actually like uh, the people and beings and stuff that they also have power that grows over time. So they're very much like a uh, video game type conventions in here or tabletop game, whatever, where, you know, people have different power levels and you can go from like a rank b to a rank a to you know whatever and you start at like rank i think it's f or e and then you slowly work your way up and you know there's tons of people that never become an adventurer ever and they're like rank Mm. whatever like really high letter number um and it's interesting because the book got really into the weeds on the level of detail for like what it takes to like go up in power and like how experience works they don't call it experience but it's you know something like that it's called essence and then it's mana and it's other stuff like that and It's kind of similar for dungeons and for people, but they're also two distinct paths that are different and you get both points of view and
1: it was one of those things I was about to ask yeah where when you say there are both points of view I was curious like I was under the impression that it was told from the dungeons perspective like as though it is an entity who is taking on these adventurers coming in am I wrong in understanding it that way no for the most part that's the main character I guess would be the dungeon but there's like a
0: secondary character that's almost like a main character that's a person, that's an adventurer that's ranking up at the same time. So it's kind of like having two characters that like intersect with each other because um the one guy owns the land that the dungeon is on which is why he becomes an adventurer and they both kind of grow in power alongside each other which is really interesting to see um and
1: i love that idea just like having a dungeon on this property yeah like i know austin uh, austin's grandma has like a cave up the hill and from her backyard where he's told me about like diving into it and having to get his family to pull him out by his feet because it got he couldn't back up anymore uh because of going into this cave, and that's all I, that that is immediately the first thing that popped into my head whenever you he said this was on his, he owned this property it's like oh man there's just a dungeon in there growing <laughs> somewhere yeah and I mean so those are the two main characters and um it's kind of like the dungeon
0: and the adventurer start right around the same time um they both gain power and levels and abilities at like a similar rate not exactly the same but they kind of grow together as the story goes on and they become linked in a bunch of interesting ways because one owns the property that the other one is on or is I guess not really on. It's a part of the property because it's a dungeon. And then like a (laughs) boomtown grows up around the dungeon because the dungeon has this like pure essence that's super rare to find in any dungeon. Um, So it, it gets down to like the type of dungeon and like what's going on with that, which is a whole piece of the book or series, I should say. I actually read two and a half of these and i'm in so i'm in the middle of the third i haven't finished it yet but i'm going to um so a lot of the mechanics are super nitty-gritty like i said about power levels and moving from like a class c adventurer or a dungeon to a class b and what that means for characters and essences and abilities and mana but somehow like it all works like the author usually manages to keep it interesting while explaining the power levels and leveling up and um i really like the parts from like the dungeons perspective because it has to add new floors as it levels up and it has to add (laughs) new like mobs and new abilities and it only knows the things that it's come in contact with so it starts recruiting people and entities and stuff to bring it new things so that it could make new items and new people and new mobs and new everything right and like new (laughs) bosses in dungeons like it's really interesting it's just that every once in a while it feels like the author gets a little bit too lost in their own like world building that they've created and it's like okay you gotta step back a little bit and move the for the story forward a little bit before you go back into this so i think overall it does a pretty good job balancing it but I There were parts near the beginning where I was like, oh, I hope this picks up. And it did, which is probably
1: the best thing I can say about it. Well, I'm really curious about this because generally what we've talked about, what you've said, is kind of a concept, kind of a premise of the novel. What is the actual story that's being told? What is the inciting incident other than this is a dungeon with a high level? Is there a problem that needs to be solved? Is there a narrative, a narrative arc that is taking place other than the growth of the adventurer and the dungeon uh, that kept everything moving at a decent pace kind
0: of so that was one of the things about the series that like I wasn't sure for a really long time now that I'm into book three I see more like the arc of it it kind of starts out as mostly a premise honestly and it, it doesn't have a ton of like driving force behind it right away Um, which is maybe why I felt like I did at the beginning, but now I see that it's really about like the dungeon and the character becoming linked, but then also the land that it's on is between different kingdoms that are like having conflicts. So it's this really good neutral ground that a bunch of different like Uh races and kingdoms and stuff can come to. And it's also a super rare type of dungeon. So everybody wants to come there to get, um, like power and loot and the essence that's in it and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's, you know. From the dungeon's perspective, it's about just like gaining more power. And then from the guy's perspective, it's kind of the same. It's about like ranking up and getting more power. And that for a long time, it feels like that's the driving force of the book. But there's also something else going on with like necromancers and power and different kingdoms and the wider world. And I feel like if I had finished book three, I would have a lot better answer for you. But Uh. I mean, even having finished the first two, I still feel like that's the main thrust of the story.
1: And I'm I love that idea within that, like having the politics going around it. Like I was when whenever he said the, that about the dungeon, like having to deal with the adventurers. That's what realized, like, oh man, this is going to be great if it's done right. And so I was really curious on what kind of story was being told about it. And um, like well, I know you listen to it
0: from the dungeons perspective because it's kind of like it needs to, it, it wants to advance in power, but it keeps giving it has to like balance itself basically like a dungeon master would do, right? Like it wants to do things that will encourage people to go to the next level and fight harder monsters. And it's trying to like, kill people because if it kills people it gets all the experience from them the essence from them but at the same time it has to make the rewards enough that it lures people in and people will keep coming back for it so it's trying to be a really lucrative dungeon while also still being like cruel and deadly at points so like that's its (laughs) motivation and that's honestly like from the dungeon side that's kind of the whole story is like just that but it's enough there's something there about like being in that mental mode of like you know basically like dming um yeah but from the dungeons perspective that's enough to like kind of pull me through the book Uh, and i was surprised how well that worked without having a whole lot else going on even though there's this whole other thing with the character and the land and politics and stuff
1: well i mean do you remember the video game uh dungeon keeper where you were the bad guy, basically, uh, you basically were the dungeon, then setting up traps for the adventurers to come in. Uh, it was a PC game back in the 90s, I think, uh, was when it was. But it was it was a strategy game uh, where you were, they, there were adventurers coming, man, there were adventurers coming into, your, into you, into your dungeon, and you had to figure out what the best traps were to make sure that uh, they didn't make it through. Yeah, no,
0: I remember that. This kind of reminds me of that. But it also, yeah, it reminds me of being a DM too, in a way, which is super okay. interesting. So I like the books. I mean, I listened to all of them as audiobooks since I was like, I had no time for reading while I was in the middle of moving, but they're good audiobooks too. So I'm going to finish listening to the, the last half of that third book and i'll report back but i like it like i can recommend it as a series if anything that i just said was interesting to you there's probably enough there for you to get through a book or two
1: now i have one one more question about it i'm really curious because of the nature of the genre itself is this based on like are they video game characters or is this all within one world like is it Is the world itself just the world of the books? Is the universe just there? Or is it someone from the real world who happens to be playing a game where all of this is going on? No, it's just the real world. It's basically just a fantasy setting. Okay, because that's the opposite of mine, which is someone going into a video game.
0: Like nothing about it.
1: Okay, so mine's called Ascend Online, uh, A-S-C-E-N-D. I know that my, uh, my accent on that one's actually brutalizing it so Ascend Online uh, by Luke Chimilienko I guess I don't know okay so to start off with this book is far better than I thought it was going to be um, because it is the kind of Almost generic archetype of what I understood lit RPG to be of someone in the real world going into a video game or playing a video game and making them uh, like like living that life, doing the quests, uh, and basically just being en- engrossed by that uh, by that world. And so, to me, it was it reminded me of Ready Player One to begin with. I mean, the the players get put in... There's this new game. Like, you start from the very launch of this game in here. The characters are playing uh, a a brand new game that everyone's losing their minds over, and it uh, is all new virtual reality where they get put into a sensory deprivation unit basically they they pay to be housed in these like company run dormitories that have the hardware to play this game because you have it hooked in and uh, you're, you're lying there but uh, it's basically being piped into your brain so you're fully immersed in this VR world uh, I mean even down to the pain receptors when you get punched by a skeleton you feel it and um, so it was really interesting that way because it took like what I was used to with vr stuff from ready player one where they would have to wear a haptic suit or uh have different levels of technology to be different have different levels of immersion they took that the writer took that completely out and made it so that here's how you play it here's how i can set up these mechanics and this is how it's all going to work like you don't have to deal with any of that other extraneous stuff and i really it took me maybe two 20 or 30 pages to really get into it and then i was like okay i really like this and going in i gotta say i was um biased i guess is the better way to put it is that even though i'm a self-published author i don't read a lot of self-published authors um because generally they're not terribly high quality but i don't read a lot of self-published authors so because of that, I was expecting this to be kind of a hack job. And it it, it really surprised me by how professionally edited and put together this was, that uh, there are moments where the, uh, the English teacher in me is like, oh, yeah, you needed to edit right here or something like that. But that's you can do that with every book, and it, this one was obviously professionally edited, obviously well done, and so a lot of the uh, mechanics and everything were really smoothed out. It was a very professional book, and so like as I got into it, it's like there's this this VR world, like I said, and these players go into it, and the NPCs are... They act like real people, like the dude gets into this town and uh, he's part of a goblin. Immediately, the main character gets in part of a goblin raid when he logs in. And so he's having to save people from goblins. I'm watching people die. And it looks like people are dying to him. Like when he gets shot by an arrow, it hurts. And so um, this is like the perfect sandbox world that you could think of like if you were to just jump into a video game and you think about what it would be like to be in the perfect vr mmo that's what this is and like down from the way that the characters uh the npcs interact with the adventurers is what that's what they call players there are very few differences like they talk to them like people like they uh they have conversations they interact and react with pretty much normal ai except that it pulls in uh, game mechanics into it, things like that, where they can only teach you so many things or uh, where it's like, if this is a journeyman trainer, something they can only teach you up to a certain level. It's like, Oh, well you got to go to this city to go learn something like that. Or so nobody's traded a scroll for that one. Sorry. And uh, like, I really liked what it was, how they did it. Like because they were on launch day, like, and nobody knew anything about this world or this game. Um, like, as they went out from this town or out into the world, the players got to name and discover areas. So when they found a forest covered in in uh, spider webs and the guy thought that it was uh thought about and called it the web Wood, that became the official name because he was the first person to discover that and that's what he referred to it as and marked it as like there were unique quests and events and abilities and things like that that they were able to find and it uh you could alter the course of the ongoing storylines by interacting with it a different way like because he fought off the goblins that meant that they went back and regrouped instead of just moving on and going into a different area something like that that's and, super uh, interesting it seems like, like your book was like very much in the video game vein and mine i got yes. like
0: a D type of feels from it like tabletop
1: yeah this one was hardcore video game stuff like down to the i mean and it, it worked a lot like if you, you could honestly, outside of it being a video game in there, I mean, they're in this deprivation unit where they have to log out every little bit, uh, to make sure that, you know, they're not becoming vegetables and dying, um, but they uh the way that they gained skill and stuff like that was also could translate into tabletop as well it's like the more they use swords the better they got at it um when they took hits they and they would gain experience and learn how to uh, get out of the way better and it was interesting because it's told first person from the character in the game that it made sense on how when he leveled up he knew how to do it better. He was like, I feel like I know how to get out of the way more like, more so than uh than just like being hit me be like oh i got to get out of the way it's like no i know a technique on how to do that and then was able to do it it was really really interesting to to read about because the author really did cool things like having the hud that they could look up and see for how much experience they needed there were subclasses that they talked about stuff like that and it never got too mechanic-y like you said yours kind of got too into the weeds occasionally yeah sometimes this one talked about it and you know it would talk about needing to be level 7 to go out and kill these animals or whatever or or get this but it never but it was always just kind of how you and I would talk about it if we were leveling up in the next Final Fantasy 14 expansion it was never a uh uh doing the math kind of thing it was always a, well I need uh to kill 125 of these spiders to do it and then they go and it tells a story about them going out to kill those 125 spiders let's say one of the coolest things about this one that i love the most is uh um and this is i'm gonna do my best this next part is a little bit of a spoiler, but it's so cool that uh, I want it to be implemented into a real video game so much that so I'm just going to talk about it. Uh, and it's not a major spoiler or anything, but it's a spoiler. Uh, so if you care, forward along a little bit. At one point early on in the game, he attacks a a cougar, a jaguar, a, a, a giant cat. I can't remember exactly what kind of giant cat it is. And uh, it... He tries to kill it, and he fails. And so because he fails and he dies, um, that cat became his nemesis. That uh, There is a nemesis system in this game that I want in other games that the first time something like that kills you, that enemy will now start hunting you down as you grow in power, and it will start growing in power. So until you can defeat it it's going to continually hunt you down in the game world. That's pretty and, cool. Uh, A little shadow's like mortuary. Yeah, yeah, really it's really cool. And then at some point later on in the in the I want to say later on in the game because that's how I think about this one, uh, later on they're in this really cool like ruin and figuring out all the all the stories as they further get further into the the climax of the book and They basically get warped together and uh, they get hit by magical energy and everything. And his nemesis all of a sudden becomes like ethereally bonded to him and becomes his familiar. And he's a jerk. It's like this cat, this, this, this cat is, is just like a sarcastic. He's exactly what you think. A giant magic, panther would be like if he were your familiar and i love him his name is amaranth and i love him so much he may be my favorite part of the book because of the the way that it is. And i want this to be in a video game i want this to be like where you have a nemesis uh in an mmo kind of game like this where you have a nemesis they keep trying to kill you over and over again they're super powerful and attacking you in the middle of nowhere kind of like a dark souls person coming in uh just destroying you at the wrong moment and then uh, eventually becoming your familiar when you're finally able to beat them like I loved this that was my favorite thing like and it was throughout the entire book like that was the thing it led up to this it was a very natural progression of this happening where there was a relationship being built on that kind of nemesis back and forth where that 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 Moriarty and uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, and Professor Xavier and Magneto kind of thing where there's a relationship more than just oh this thing keeps trying to kill me over and over again and i'm pretty sure that everybody out there who's played an mmo has one particular mob that has done that to you and that you hate more than anything else like when wow first came out everybody hated the a very particular murloc maybe uh and you just went out when you got more powerful and just just slaughtered it in its village it's kind of how this felt it was like this one that this is what people need in games like i would love this to be real Cool. So that sounds like you mostly liked the book. Yeah, mostly did. There were a couple of things I didn't care for. The the NPCs use foul language. I did not like this. I'm not a prude. I, I have a potty mouth. It's uh, one of those things where if I read something, it's uh, it does not bother me when it's within the confines of that universe, especially it's whatever. But for some reason, just having an NPC and a brand new game drop the f-bomb without having like hearing it from a person or anything just that is their natural cadence of of being freaked out is to uh, swear with modern swear words it really pulled me out of it like that one it's not even that it that they were doing it like it fit the tone of the scenes where it happened but it felt out of place in the game as being NPCs you know the writing like it didn't make sense why the uh why the writers of that game would opt for these characters to to be profane does that make sense yeah i get it and i mean and that that's just a personal thing where it's like uh i know i actually tweeted about this with the devil may cry stuff that had gone on this week where i'm fine with anything as long as it's a conscious choice to put it in there for a reason, um, but it seems like there are choices made in this one, uh, and this is one of those kind of things where I feel like this is it being a self-published book, where a uh, like like. Somebody at Penguin would have talked him out of this part of it. It's like, this doesn't fit. Uh, but So maybe we need to rework this part. Oh, but yeah, like I a, see. That was, that was me. Um, the other part is that Lyrian, the main character, really feels too perfect through most of the book. Like, this is kind of that—I uh, don't even want to say a Mary Sue or a Marty Stu thing. It's just that— I know the NPCs are reacting to him because they're NPCs. I mean, that's the way NPCs do everywhere. It's like, hail and well met, adventurer. And just like, you're, you're the best thing that's ever happened to them. And uh, like his friends and everything do too. Like he's a higher level and he learned some things that they didn't. And so his friends are, uh, are looking up to him and, and seeking advice. But he's basically like this preternaturally good player at this game. Like it was like he was born to play this game. And uh, he doesn't struggle. Nearly as much as other players do with it, like he just kind of gets it. He he intuits how to play, and while that's not necessarily a bad thing, it just seems like it's so convenient for him to be this way, for him to be the main character and feel this way and do this. Um, if it were a side character, I don't think it would bother me because it's just like uh, the competition over there, someone that you are motivated to be better than or try to live up to. But as a main character, as a main POV character, things honestly felt a little too easy at times and like he logged into the game like first time logging in he all of a sudden gets like logs into a goblin raid in this small town with everything on fire people dying left and right it's like uh, being thrown in uh kind of at the beginning of lord of the rings online when everything is on fire and you're having to escape the nazgul i don't even know if that's the way they start the game anymore but that's how it was when i played lord of the rings online and uh, like you're starting in media race right there but it turns out that the reason he's there is because he tried to log into the main area, which is uh, they we're all taking them to one area, but the server was too crowded. And so when he logged in, he got booted off into another uh, another less crowded zone, and that's where it came up. And so now he's basically this kind of township savior where all the NPCs are looking to him and he's leveling up without any kind of uh, like player killing or anything because he's so far away from the the main area where thousands and thousands of people are basically being thousands and thousands of people in a video game. And so it just feels like that's almost too convenient like it's a very good story I love the way that it's told that uh, that the story is interesting that the way that the town grows is super interesting like I've been part of MMO towns that have grown like this one has with player towns like in Star Wars Galaxies and Ultima Online I have done this kind of stuff for towns like it is very interesting but it was how he got there immediately and everything just kind of worked out for him in that, where I'm just like, there were things that could have been done narratively just a little bit differently, like a little, mo- little more hardship. Some of those like self-published pitfalls that people can fall into. Yeah. And I mean, I fell into them. I mean, you go read Birthright and everybody will be like, yeah, but you did this, BJ. And it's like, I sure did. It's like, I absolutely did. Um, and it's it like you said, it's a self publishing pitfall and uh but I haven't read the other books in the series, so I don't know how they go from that. um I'm actually probably going to grab the audiobooks and listen to them as I'm starting to run. again, this one uh was good enough that it uh made me want to read the other two, kind of like yours did. So Ken has good taste, I gotta say he uh he sent us good books and he did it specifically. he said based on our personalities and what he thought we would like instead of giving us the same book
0: (laughs) thank you for that i appreciate it it says we both got different experiences um so before we wrap up thoughts on like the genre as a whole um i so i think that there's something inherent about these books that they're a little bit cheesy and you have to get over that fact like, there's yeah. this hurdle up front. And I feel like you said it and I said it, but there's something about the first part of the book that's harder to get into. And I feel like there's a little bit of resistance there on my part because it's like, okay, we're in like a fantasy world, but it's RPG. There's just something. And I can't think of a word better than like cheesy about just like it's- being in a game. You know, it's one of those things that like the first time you create a fantasy world when you're like six, you're like, oh, I'm going to go <laughs> in my favorite video game. Or I'm going to go in my favorite like fantasy world. You know, it just yep. feels like such low hanging fruit that it almost like pushes you away right at the beginning but i think you said it took you like 30 pages to get into it i probably took me like a few chapters to get into mine and
1: you know some of that was just resistance to like the cheesiness of the premise and part of it i think on that one is it's almost like a literary uncanny valley for me where this isn't how video games work it's like this is this is not what i can play it was like this is made up this is not how the technology would be able to do this and it's that uh that suspension of disbelief and okay that's how it works in this world that's how this technology is set up um I've had that problem in other fantasy worlds or anything online uh, where it's like the stuff with sword art online. I don't even remember what my particular beef with it was, but I'm like, that's not how it would work <laughs> where, where that's my cheesiness where it's uh it is cheesy. Don't get me wrong. And, and it depends on the writer, I guess on how they handle that cheesiness where it's like yours. It feels like leaned into it with, uh, with the dungeon being the character and having its own uh, own personality. And for me, they talk about it a lot, being a video game and how, you know, they're how they deal with these with levels and uh, how they're glad that this isn't real life or, you know, that these giant spiders or whatever, like how terrifying they are. But they're always calling it out that it's a video game. So that that helps a lot for me. Yeah, I I could see that. It's kind of like if you hang a lantern on it and you embrace it, it gets better you know yeah as long as i'm aware that you're aware of it like the writing excuses podcast taught me that it's like you can do almost anything in literature as long as you call it out and let the reader know that you're doing this on purpose so that they don't think that you're an idiot that or that they think you're not aware of it or that or whatever it is it's like like you said hang a lantern on it's like yep look i'm doing this guys just deal with it this is where we're going from here Yeah, exactly. I mean,
0: the other thing that as I was thinking about the genre as a whole, like I really want to know what else is out there and what the boundaries of the genre are because they seem ill-defined because it's such like a super new genre to exist. So it's hard to tell like what it even is, you know? I know I had that like definition up front. I got that off of like part of that off of Wikipedia. I kind of modified it to make it a little bit more understandable. But, you know, (laughs) it's not a super well-defined genre. Um, One thing that I would be very interested to see is to see someone try to take this and adapt it into, like, a show or a movie. Like, I mean, I guess there are examples like Sword Art Online and, like, a couple others out there, but I there's something about, I don't know, those feel like anime like um a japanese take on it i would really like to see like a western take on it into some kind of show whether that's like live action or animated but you know lean into this genre and see what they could do in a different medium
1: i feel like if they did that it would be almost a westworld kind of tv show where uh where they're because that's kind of what westworld is doing is this uh this immersive environment that uh kind of this immersive sandbox that you can do what you want to in and have quests and stuff where i would love to see something like that with this one you're right that would be really cool um where as much as i liked the uh uh, ready player one movie it didn't quite hit that kind of uh, feeling that uh, these books gave for the immersion within the game
0: yeah yeah for sure so That was awesome. Thanks for sponsoring uh, Ken and giving us a fun topic to talk about. Um, Take a quick break before we do our weekly geekery and talk about the geeky offer of the week. Why don't you tell people about Patreon just like Ken used?
1: (laughs) Uh, Patreon is awesome, you guys. Um, If you didn't hear at the beginning of the episode, we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Geek2GeekCast. We did just update some of the reward tiers, and uh, one of them is, you know, you're our boss, you tell us what to do, and we do it, uh, just like this episode. Um, We have another where we will record audio for you that you want, uh, no matter what it is within reason. Uh, That's one of our tiers. You can also be an executive producer or a sponsor. We have those tiers up. There now, like you'll get your name in lights, and by lights, I mean colored pixels in different places. But it's going to be awesome, and um, or just we ask a couple bucks to help support the podcast. That's all we actually ask yeah that is that is i was just telling them about the new stuff okay but yeah we the main thing is uh just your support it keeps it actually keeps us online literally so uh so that would be that would be fantastic uh we love you guys and speaking of loving you guys our real nice thank you this week goes to nelson (laughs) because you've never had that done to you once in your life uh you are also the winner of our very first geek to geek media network email giveaway so you you have a Splatoon amiibo uh, soon to be on its way to you. Nelson, you are fantastic. Uh, so thank you so much. Ooh,
0: boy, <laughs> Awesome. thanks, everyone, for supporting the podcast um, around the network this week. Geekitude is still on a hiatus because of Joe's cyborg hand, but it sounds like he's healing up. He's getting better. He doesn't actually I should clarify because last week I was playing it <laughs> deadpan like I tend to do. He doesn't actually have a new hand. He didn't lose his hand. I wouldn't have made fun of it. He just had a hand injury. <laughs> And there's like a metal plate in there or something now. It's mostly still his hand, but I'm going to keep calling it a cyborg hand um, just because it amuses me. Tea time with Katie and Chelsea. They talked about uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie version of it. Um, And then you can always find capsule J streaming on Tuesdays from about like eight to 11 PM Eastern. And sometimes on Thursdays and weekends, Troidal is moving his schedule to Thursdays, sometimes after dinner and then some other times randomly, but mostly he's going to focus in on Thursdays, So there's a consistent day of the week. Um, With that said, Let's talk about our weekly geekery, where we talk about what we've been geeking out about this week. Uh, You have been making a game, but I want to hear about it.
1: Okay. How far did you get? I'm curious. Did it ever not crap out on you?
0: I kept running into bugs. I tried. I tried like four different times. Yeah, I couldn't get it very far. I mean, I know I tried twice one day and then twice another. Yeah, I got to like, I kept running into uh, battle bugs or like I would get into a battle and like couldn't finish it for whatever reason. So I don't know why I was getting a bad luck of the draw because yeah. other people online were like playing through I don't know all of it, if there's an end, but a lot of it, from what I was hearing.
1: Yeah, so I've been playing around with RPG Maker, uh, the MV version, the one that runs on JavaScript now. It's uh, it's really, really good. I've been having a good time with it. Um, uh, DJ Pimp Daddy on Twitter actually spurred me to do this. He's going to be writing a game dev blog as he goes through this and learns how to program in Unity and doing all of this uh, for the geek to geek media site. And so it's uh, it got me like, I have this. I bought this on... On sale a while back. And so I downloaded it and I got all of the assets put together and I just wanted to learn what it was and how to use it. Cause I hadn't used it since I was man, early 2000s maybe for RPG Maker 95, 2000, and maybe 2003. It's like I used to just play around with it all the time, never did anything good, but I still haven't done anything good. But um, I wanted to make a dungeon crawl. I was like, I want to put something together with a beginning and an end that you can go through. And I just put you stock assets. I, I wanted to learn how the eventing worked on how, you know, you press a button and something happens. You have if then choice, Is just how everything worked before diving in and actually having to write like JavaScript plugins or anything. And so I made this like five level dungeon where, uh, Like you can go through and and there are like Easter eggs hidden all throughout. Um, I know that I named items after some people and things like that for people to find. I I have giant spiders in there called Austin Bane because the man is terrified and hates spiders. Uh, Mm Like he laughed so hard whenever uh whenever he saw that, like just things like that, and it's just fun to do, like writing things out like it's super absurd and i just I just loved doing it, and so I've been working on actually getting better at it and uh since I got this uh and put the put it up on uh on the web and uh for people to play it's I've been actually playing around like learning more of the back end and how the actual i don't even want to say coding but the uh how more of the the script commands work uh to be able to move slowly into working into the plugins and actually writing uh, things that affect the game one way or another like cool. it's really cool John, um, it sounds like you've been
0: having a good time and i know other people who have got farther into the game than me have been Reacting very positively to it, just knowing that it's something that you're kind of throwing together and playing with, and not supposed to be a you know serious commercial release or anything. Oh, I think no. that you did a really good job of setting those expectations every time you shared it. So um, yeah, everybody's reactions have been fun to keep an eye on. So if people do want to check it out, where is a good spot for them to get to it?
1: Uh, um, Bitly.com/beejrpg. B i t l com e j um, it is on itch.io, and that one has more problems for some reason because the, the, the one that's the bit.ly link, the short link, actually takes you to one on our website where I'm just hosting it ourselves, and it, the itch won't let you have that many files uploaded to it and so that's where the issue is coming in that you ran into with the itch version is it's calling for some reason it's calling for assets that are not there and that are not set to it like that's what i can't figure out it's like the assets it's calling for not i there's no reason for it to be they're the exact same versions but uh i don't know what it was doing but uh but yeah so it's uh, a bit.ly.com slash b-e-e-j r-p-g like it's let me know it's called Beej's Terrible RPG for a reason um there's there's a super boss in there if y'all can find the super boss
0: yes it's a interesting freshman effort I would love to hear more people's take on it um but what else have you been
1: doing this week um I saw Captain Marvel twice uh love this movie. Um, I like it a lot better the second time, that the first time, Jennifer has been all in on Captain Marvel for a long time. She's really been excited about this movie coming out. She's a, a Ms. Marvel fan, which got her into being a Captain Marvel fan, and she really loves Carol. And uh, Carol Danvers, who's Captain Marvel, if you don't know. And so we went opening night Thursday at 7 o'clock, like first showing, and she was a little disappointed in it, just just because of her expectations. Like, this is still an origin story movie, and so there were things that were going on in it because it was an origin story movie, and the way that they were telling the story, that she had wrapped her mind around this headcanon of, okay, here's the stuff they're showing in the trailers, so this is the way that the story is going to be set up, and it's going to be awesome. She went in with all sorts of preconceived expectations, and they didn't do it that way, so uh, she had to wrap her mind around those things about it for a couple of days and then we took our nephew to see it on Sunday and it, like, I I went in with none of these expectations. I just like Carol Danvers and wanted to see a cool movie and that's what it was like I really liked it and I love this character Brie Larson knocks it out of the park I I've always liked her as an actress but as Carol Danvers I cannot wait to see her in Avengers Endgame and everything else that they're gonna do in the MCU with her because it is straight up awesome um like she is She's by far the best part of the movie. Uh, Her cat Goose is also magnificent. And uh, it's just like Nick Fury is in it. And it, it just makes me happy where it's like a buddy cop movie in a lot of ways of Nick Fury and Captain Marvel. It's it's very very good and i think that even people like me who are superhero burnouts which is i don't know if that's what burned out on superhero movies have the superhero fatigue (laughs) um uh where we i enjoyed it so much that i wanted to see it again that weekend so it's it's very very good cool yeah i really want to see it i haven't gotten around to it yet just because we've been busy but I hope I get
0: to right. see it in theaters.
1: Um, I definitely need to see it before Endgame. So I think I kind of have to see it in theaters. It is not going to be 100% necessary to watch before Endgame. Well, I know but what I want But you are to. not going to understand why she is as awesome as she is when they get to her in Endgame. Yeah, it's uh, one of those that
0: like I thought about seeing it on opening night, but w- I've just been too busy with life. Yeah. But Yeah, I'm going to get to it for sure because it looks like an it, awesome movie. It's worth taking the kids, to. It's one where uh, Is my it, okay, eight-year-old so this nephew... Was a question. Like... The MCU movies—they're all PG thirteen, but some of them air on like the you know higher like thirteen side, closer to R, and some of them are very much like I could show it to my six-year-old, my eight-year-old. Where does this one land?
1: My eight-year-old nephew, his mom does not let him watch anything inappropriate at all, and she was cool with us being in there. There are maybe three or four instances of a couple of uh, swear words but that's it. Uh like there's not anything other than that in it. Like it was it was just a couple of uh of swear words and they're not bad. Um the worst one starts with an s. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, that's fine. I'm not as worried about the language so much as like the content, but yeah.
1: Oh no, the content is is perfectly fine. The the my eight-year-old nephew went out of there understanding and you know asking questions like any kid does in the theater, but uh, uh, went out of there liking it, and uh, there was nothing questionable like that. Uh, your kids, I think, would absolutely like it. Okay, cool. That's good to know. I've also been playing Chrono Cross. I restarted this. like I haven't played this since it was new, so it's been almost 20 years, and I don't remember exactly what got me wanting to play it, but I remembered I'd bought it on the Vita and PS3, and so I'm like 10 hours into Chrono Cross right now, and I love this game. The story is really, really interesting, and the combat is... Way different than I remember it being because you can't grind in this game. Do you remember that? I remember I went back and I tried to play it and something about the combat.
0: I just couldn't even deal with it. I don't remember the grind part, but there was something that it was just kind of, I don't know, it felt very dated for the combat.
1: It does feel dated. I bounced off of it a while back and had maybe 30 or 45 minutes into it, and I went back this time just knowing it. I looked up a little bit about it, and I was like, oh, that's how combat works in this. And uh, because every boss, basically every major battle, you gain a growth star, quote unquote and that ups your stats and then like every few battles after that you gain hp maybe a couple of strength or something and then after that there is no benefit to combat after that like other than items so you can actually avoid combat if you want to uh after that and you'll still be at roughly the same uh level that you need to be just outside of you know finding the items you need to buy armor and or craft armor and uh Elements and consumables and stuff like that, so it was it's really neat in that regard. So I'm actually having a good time. Once I realized what I was getting into, instead of being like, "What is this PlayStation One stuff?" Ah, it was it was very good. I'm enjoying it a lot, and I'll I will definitely be finishing this. So I've also been playing Earthbound. I got into Earthbound, um, and it's so good. It's so absurd, and my 3ds died and oh, that's no. when I picked up chrono cross like like battery died not oh, not died okay. died like it died and I had to go charge it but I was still want to play a game so that's what got me playing chrono cross and then it grabbed me and I'm like I'll be back earthbound but uh but it's still so good like I love that game like I remember it from when I was a kid and it's uh it, it's still just as absurd and just as wonderful as it was then okay so, cool well yep. I'm glad it sounds like you've been doing a good variety
0: of stuff this week (laughs) yeah a lot i i haven't i haven't been doing a good variety (laughs) of stuff um i've mostly been playing anthem because i was trying to get my head around it not because i was loving the game and couldn't put it down unfortunately it i'm very mixed on this game and i'm still kind of playing it because i almost want to just finish the story because i think i'm close to the end but i'm also not sure if i even want to keep. Doing that let me let me talk about it this is gonna come out kind of scattered and i know that so bear with me but before i go into like why i'm so mixed on it i have to say that the the flying movement of like the mech suits the javelin those feel amazing like it's that is the best part of the game is the flying movement and it feels like if you took that and you made that the core of it just like how spider-man you know how much like swinging is just fun like the javelin flight is just fun there's it's just like it's i know the word is overused but it's like visceral like it feels like flight and kind of like iron man but just a little bit out of control you know where it's not like perfect Uh. flight every time when you're in a mech suit and it's great like i love it every time i'm flying around i'm having the best time that i have with this game like that's that's anthem at its peak and one of the things is it's like It's not an open world game. Like, I wish it was. If it was an open world game, I think that the flight could shine even more. But it's just, it's a loot shooter. And so, like, you get to fly throughout the missions, but you never just kind of fly to fly. Which, it feels like if they give you room to do that, it would be a ton of fun. So, a little bit mixed there, but I have to say that, like that part of the game they just straight up nailed
1: okay so i'm curious about this like the way i understood it was that it was and 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 i have not played it and i've barely read up on it like i said i'm not in the mood for for anthem so i've just kind of waited on it to go on sale basically and so i thought it was an open world thing where there were side quests that you could go grab but there was still a main narrative that went through linearly kind of like destiny so it, it's not open world it's it's open world in the way that like destiny is open world like you can go on
0: those whatever they call them like free play where you just wander and like some stuff yeah. randomly happens but it doesn't feel like an open world game it feels like you're kind of killing time in this world that really you're meant to be doing missions like why are you even in this mode should you even be in this uh, mode okay you know what i mean like yep. you can but that it doesn't feel like the game is designed for it very well um and it's it's weird because this isn't really like um an rpg experience that how do i say this when you think about bioware you think about a really good character-driven rpg with like interesting rpg progression and mechanics behind it right yep that isn't this game at all this is a loot shooter in the vein of Destiny. It feels like combat kind of feels like somewhere between Destiny, Mass Effect 3, and Warframe. So if you have those games as a point of reference, find a middle ground. Like, that's Anthem. And it's mm. okay. Like, it's serviceable, but it's not amazing gameplay. Um, it's, it's fine. Like, it's fine. Like, there's nothing I can point to and be like, that's horrible about the combat. Because there's not. But it's also not... Amazing, you know, but it's still of it action game
1: combat, right? It's not yeah. any kind of RPG type Knights of the Old Republic Bioware combat.
0: No, it's action, it's
1: action for sure. Okay.
0: And it's a shooter, it's a third person
1: shooter. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure when you said that, I was like, that's what I was thinking it was.
0: Yeah, and so there's all of these things that it's just like, you know, you start getting nitpicky and then. I just have a whole list of things here that are just like nitpicky. (laughs) Like if it was any one of these things and you know, the other ones didn't add up, it would probably be fine, but it's like, there are loading screens everywhere and the loading screens are just one of the worst parts of the game like i forgot how much loading screens break your immersion because we're so used to even if you have a loading screen it's one loading screen right at the beginning of a game and then you never really have to deal with it again
1: right and if you do they're fairly short where you see a couple of uh rotating things down in the corner like uh uh persona telling you to take your time and then you go on it's yeah these are quick. like
0: two minutes for each loading screen and they happen every time you go into a mission and every time you switch areas within a mission and every oh. time you finish a mission and anytime that you want to look at your inventory, you have to sit through like a minute and a half of loading screen. What? And anytime you want to go to the single player for to actually interact with the story, you have to sit through another two minutes of loading screen. Like there is no seamlessness to this game at all. It is just like very cut up into pieces and it's so annoying. It's like it is the worst part of the game for me are the loading screens.
1: Do you think this is because you're playing it on PS4 rather than PC? No, because I know people who are playing it on PC that are
0: also having tons of loading screens. They're not as mm-hmm. bad. They're not like two minutes. It's like a minute, maybe a minute and a half, but it's still that's, really, really long.
1: Yeah, that's unacceptable. The The longest the longest load screens I've seen on a game have been the Lego Incredibles on Switch, where they were obnoxiously long, like three or four minutes each uh, between worlds. Like it didn't happen during the world or anything like that. So once you did it, it was fine. But we were just like, why does a game nowadays have this kind of loading screen? And if you had that many of them on Anthem, yeah, that would totally ruin everything.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel modern at all. And it's really frustrating when you just want to play and get into it. I mean, I've had missions where there were more time sitting in loading screens than actually playing the gameplay of the mission because they were like short little missions. So so that's frustrating. But then also every time you want to do your your equipment, right, which is a core thing to a loot shooter or to any kind of like loot based game, Diablo, whatever, you need quick access to your inventory so you can go in there and look at stuff and swap it out and think about how am I going to do my build? Anytime you want to do that, you have to sit through an almost two minute loading screen. That and is that,
1: insane. It just feels like Why? a huge miss. I
0: don't know. I don't know why. Um, but you know, outside of that, that's my core complaint. Um, a bunch of other little stuff. Like it's always online, which I mean that's the nature of the game, but it's one of those things where like I really love, you know, suspend resume because I use that all the time yeah. because I have kids and I have to walk away from stuff. Um, but it is a, a PvE multiplayer game, which is nice. It's not PvP, like they didn't waste time on that. Like I'm not a big PvP fan when it comes to these type of games. So I always feel like anything they do for that towards like a destiny is just time lost they could have put into PvE, mm. which is I guess guess a benefit that we get here if the game was better there's just no evidence of that um (laughs) there's you know there are sorry sorry. yeah that's
1: it's just the way that you say that there was such just just disdain for that just how much lost potential there was on this
0: Yeah, and it's still buggy. Like, it's been out for almost a month because, you know, I was busy moving. So I got to this game a little bit later than I normally would. And I can't believe how buggy it still is. Like, um, I've had plenty of times where, maybe not plenty of times, but I've had a handful of times where I lost progress due to getting kicked out of a mission because of loading screens or because of something going on with the server side. And it's like, you don't get any of your items, you don't get any of the experience from the mission. It's just like, well, play that again, you don't get anything. Um, And I've had times where like sound effects don't happen or just don't load in or there's no sound at all. And there was a time where I randomly had my weapons disappear from my inventory, and I think I took a screenshot and put it on Twitter of one time when I was like <laughs> in an area and I just encountered a it was like a test asset or it was like a placeholder asset. Yep. It was just this big pink polygon, and I was like, really like really, this is a final game that like I paid sixty dollars for okay, sure, it has a
1: big tower that says uh actually said on top of it placeholder asset
0: yes, that, that was it that it was, was great.
1: I, it was I just one of my favorite things I've ever seen in terms of screenshots. Like, I loved the fact that it happened to you and that I got to see it. But you're absolutely right. My thought was I can't believe that they pushed this live unless that was just something that, you know, if that happened while it was loading, sometimes you get, like, missing assets or something. But this one was specifically labeled as a placeholder asset. Yeah. This well, and- is –
0: it, this game Ugh. just
1: feels like, in a lot
0: of ways, it was pushed out the door too early. As much as they said, like, oh, there was no development delay. You know, we delayed it for other reasons. It's like, no, hm. you you delayed this one for development time, and it wasn't enough. Like, you should have let it bake for longer. But who knows how much of that is the publisher. EA just kind of pushing it out the door early. Um yeah. The other really disappointing thing is, like, character and Bioware storytelling like Mass Effect 2 is probably one of my favorite story based character based like games that I've played because you get to meet the crew you get to learn about them and then you like grow with them over time and you learn more about them and get into their personal stories which lead to personal missions and there's just like none of that in this game there's nothing that's hooking me into the story even though I'm paying attention, I'm trying to get hooked because it's Bioware storytelling and I want to. Like, I am so prepped to get into this game and it's not doing it for me. Um, The story and the narrative feels so disconnected from the gameplay that it's super disappointing. And it's, like I said, it's partitioned off into its own section, the fort that you have to spend two minutes loading into and then you're walking around to get to areas that are, like, you have to walk really far sometimes to even get to the characters that you want to talk to. And then you get there and then it's like, oh, they don't have any dialogue options glad that i just walked for two minutes to find this guy um and it kind of and of course you you
1: can't fly there
0: no no because you're inside in a first person view which i don't know why it switches you to that that was another it's just goes further to differentiate the fact that like gameplay is like a third person loot shooter and the story they're trying to tell through one-on-one dialogue with npcs in this narrowly confined fort in first person like there's some kind of weird disconnect there and um i'm just waiting for the characters to get interesting and like the dialogue choices right like mass effect and other bioware games your choices matter and this game it feels like there's only ever two choices because of the way they have the dialogue structured and it never uh. really seems to matter which one you choose like you can say one thing or another and maybe they'll react to it for like one line of dialogue and then they go right back onto whatever they would have said regardless of which one you picked you know
1: yeah and that probably has to do with it being such a massive game in terms of online players and how they're having to branch out the story but that's a that that kind of is a concession that you shouldn't have to make for bioware that that's not something that that was a big problem in in the old Republic as well, that none of your choices really mattered to anything. It was just a, a force or site, dark uh, darker light side ranking. It wasn't an actual change in the story itself. So it's like, yeah, this one is like Bioware hasn't been able to be Bioware in a while yeah
0: it's sad so i mean i started liking the game a little bit more when i gave up on paying attention to the story and started treating it as a podcast game where i just like don't even listen to any of the sound effects or the dialogue or the story which is sad it's a bioware game like i shouldn't Man. do that you know it took me probably like 15 hours to get to that point because i kept give, giving it more chances and more chances and it just didn't do it for me so i put it on podcast i tr- started playing it for just like the gameplay instead and i liked it a little bit more but even with that said i i was really only playing like one or two missions at a time which is weird like if i really get hooked on a game i'll just carve out like even though my schedule's so busy you know that every once in a while yep. i'll manage to squeeze like 40 hours of a new game in in the first week and i think in total i've played like 20 hours of this game over the last three or four weeks however long it's been out because i'm only playing it in like 30 minute chunks maybe an hour if it's like a long session because it just it's so broken up that it gives me so many chances to be like, oh, I could be doing something else or maybe I should go to bed or oh, I'll play with my phone for a while and then, oh, it loaded. Like, I, I should pay attention. Like, it's just not holding my attention, basically. And I think it's trying to split the difference between, you know, Bioware storytelling game and games as a service shooter and it's just failing at that. And it's taking me so much work to find the fun in the game that I'm disappointed. Like, I'm ready to admit yeah. that I'm disappointed and that it's a lot of work for me to find the fun because I really just wanted it to be flawless and seamless and just like sucked me in and it just it didn't it didn't even though i wanted it to
1: you went in with kind of mixed expectations on it like you hoped it would be good but didn't necessarily Think it would be great uh, based on our other conversations we had had long before it actually came out. So I'm, I'm sad that that actually came true, that the EA part of it and that they they kept Bioware on such a leash, it seems like that it didn't turn into the game that it could have been.
0: Yeah. So let me end on a couple other things that I do like about it. So like I said, the flying is amazing and hitting the button to like take off and fly just feels so good every time you hit that button it's like yes let's do this like every single time they nailed that and um the storm javelin is the one that i landed on and it feels so good to do the ultimate attack with the storm javelin where you're just like calling in elemental attacks from above when you're the storm javelin you're basically an elemental mage in mech form which just feels awesome badass it's so cool and There's also uh, hovering in the game. So like if you're in midair, you can hit a button and your character will hover and you can kind of move them around as if you were not actually walking. But, you know, you can stay um, vertically in the position you're in, but you can move around horizontally on the horizontal plane. Yeah. So you can basically use it as like a shooting platform from wherever you want to be in midair. Um, And the storm javelin can hover for the longest out of all of them. So I spend basically most of the game in the air and hovering as a storm javelin just feels really good, too. Um, What they've done with it, like you get extra shield and you get some extra effects around you. And I don't know, they just they kind of nailed it with that character, basically. So those things are good. And I really like the storm javelin and I really like that elemental mage type of Feeling gameplay but it's just surrounded by gameplay that isn't super varied like it's not bad it's just not great it's very mediocre and good enough and a good enough of a bioware game doesn't feel right
1: you know yeah that's i totally get it that's one of the reasons that uh the old republic is so hard for a lot of people to get into and for me to stick with is because that it's just all right and sometimes it's really what you want. And then it's like, I'll come back later. That's kind of the way this sounds like. Now that I've talked
0: about it on the podcast, it's like I'm either going to sit down and blast through the end of the story to say that I finished it, or I'm going to sit down, boot it up, realize that I'm done with the game because I've already kind of got my thoughts out there and never boot it up again. Like those are really the only two paths forward
1: that I see with this game. I don't see it lasting much longer. Um, How long is the story itself supposed to last to be able to get to where the the story itself stops and gets ready for an expansion or a content release?
0: I don't think very long. I think it's like 10 to 15 hours, somewhere in there. And okay. they, they throw this. Oh, I didn't even talk about this. <sighs> okay let me this is another one of those things that it's like why did they do this and maybe it's just to extend the main story but as soon as the main story actually feels like it's picking up for the first time in the entire game they put up this huge roadblock in your way where you have to go and visit these four tombs of these like i don't even know right at that point the story was (laughs) like gobbledygook it's like they're someone who had javelins or they're famous or they're you know historical or something but there's tombs of people that used to be freelancers like you and You go to visit one, and then it's like, you're not good enough. You have to complete these challenges. And it just gives you a list of grindy challenges that you would expect to be hidden in an achievement menu somewhere. And it does that for four of these all at the same time. And so you go, and you're like, okay, I have to open 15 treasure chests. I've seen, like, five in my entire gameplay right now. I guess i got to figure out how to do that. Or, like... Um, you know, like I hadn't done a melee kill the entire game because I'm a storm. Like I float above guys and that's what I do. I rain down elemental damage on them. That's what I'm having fun doing. It's like get 50 melee kills. Oh my goodness. So it's stuff like that, that you have to just go and grind out because you probably haven't done most of it yet. And as soon as you start working on those, it, the game feels like a grind and like, okay, well, I wanted to see what was next in the story because you finally had me slightly hooked and now you completely lost me again. But then when you do finish them, you go to the tomb and you're like, okay, I did the work. Like, I really want to see something cool here. Give me a cutscene. Give me some like lore thing or something really interesting or an awesome weapon or like armor, right? These are like javelins that are historical and important. Give me like their armor sets or you walk in and there's one like tomb just at the end of a hallway that you interact with and it's like good job you did it have a green item and that's it (laughs) like that's that's it right and then you just leave and i couldn't believe it like i couldn't believe that was what was the at the end of this huge roadblock they put up in my way um i saw that and i just gave up for the night i was like okay i'm coming back
1: later i was about to say it sounds like that's the point where i would imagine that that you would just stop like, I could see you quitting the game right there, too. It's like, nope, I am done with this. But even just sitting it down for the night would just be like, I, I, I'm glad that I wasn't wrong in that feeling, because I'm sitting here, I was listening, I was like, I wonder if he just quit. That that sounds like he just I quit, quit the and night. Get mad. I didn't rage quit, I just like... I don't even
0: know. Like sullenly quit. Like I can't believe this. Like I'm okay. I'm done with this for tonight. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, there's my anthem thoughts. I really wanted to be positive. I've been looking forward to this game for like a year or two at this point, and it's just not what I wanted it to be. So a couple other games that I did try. um, I tried the Division Two beta. It was all right. Like the the gameplay was. It felt more interesting than Anthem, unfortunately, but the setting just doesn't do it for me. Like if that wasn't a real world post-apocalyptic, like trying to be realistic setting, um, I might be able to actually get into The Division, but uh, I that's something about the setting. I just I'm, kind of bounce off of it. But hey, if you like The Division 1, uh, The Division 2 seems like it's better. So I would go get it for sure. And then I've been playing an idle game called Egg Inc because every once in a while I just need an idle game in my life. You guys probably know this by now. I really like idle games that tell a story that's like a subtle story right or it doesn't even have to be a subtle story but i like <laughs> idle games that tell some kind of story and it's not just grind because then i'll bounce off it super fast and egg ink is kind of telling me one but i'm also kind of getting to the point where uh i have diminishing returns i've unlocked about half of the eggs this
1: probably makes no sense to you um, I'm looking it up because I wanted to know what you were talking about. So I'm, re- I'm I'm looking at pictures on the Wikipedia page of it.
0: Yeah, you start with like one kind of egg. And then once you gain, once your farm reaches a certain value, you can unlock the next type of egg. And that's kind of where the story is coming from. Like you start with just a normal egg that you would think of <laughs> that exists in real life. And then you unlock like a healing egg. Like, oh, the eggs kind of have healing properties. This is interesting. Like the world starts investigating eggs more and chickens and stuff like that. And um, you work your way up to like fusion eggs and like immortality eggs and like things that you know allow transportation and teleportation and space travel and you never see any of that it's just like kind of going on in the background and through (laughs) some of the newspapers that show up on your doorstep but there's enough of a story there that I was like okay I want to see what the next thing is like they're having fun with this right so I think I'm through about half of the eggs I think I'm also about ready to give up but I'll probably give it another day or two just to see um if I prestige enough if I can like get over the hump that I'm at, but I kind of doubt it because these games usually turn into a grind fest at some point, And I think I finally hit that point. So I might look for another idle game. I'm just kind of in the mood for that type of thing. Uh-
1: I'm looking at the the only screenshot that they have on Wikipedia of this is uh, just just a big red button with a chicken on it, and the first sentence is the gameplay consists of a red button that can switch sizes and has a chicken on it. (laughs) It's like that's true. That is a true statement. Yep, that is a that is the perfect description of a game. Yeah,
0: sometimes you just need to see the numbers go up and it makes you happy. And I think that's true of every person who's ever played a video game and idle games just distill it down to its core. And maybe I'm playing this because Anthem wasn't giving me what I wanted and I just needed to see the numbers go up somewhere. So Egg Inc. and Anthem, they go hand in hand, I guess. That
1: That is so sad on so many levels. I think that's it for this week. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, let's a- just end on a...
0: Mm, meh mm. kind of note huh. um, all right yeah you can write to us with comments suggestions or feedback our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on twitter at geek geekcast we also have longer discussion threads on the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast
1: we also have great discussions on slack and discord you can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links so that you can hang out with all of us and check out all the other shows on the network I blog at agreenmushroom.com. You can find me at grnmushroom. That's green
0: mushroom without the E's on Twitter.
1: I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beach with two E's. And I blog at the Geek Geek Media site. We've been Void and Beach with your Geek Geek podcast. That'll
0: do it for this week. See you next week, geeks.
1: Bye, geeks. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> Thanks, Ken.
0: And remember, this week, keep it geek.
1: Hello friends, this is Troidal Power inviting you to join me over on Twitch most weeknights, sometime after dinner. Video games have always been a social hobby for me, with friends and family crammed together on a couch chatting away while someone holds the controller. And thanks to the power of the internet, I've got my own virtual couch over on Twitch where you can kick back and goof off while I play games. Find me on Twitch by searching Troidal Power, that's T R O Y T L E power, to snag a spot on the couch.